Get ready to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the United States healthcare system. With your host of the Medical Truth Podcast, James Egidio. Hi, I'm James Egidio, your host of the Medical Truth Podcast, the podcast that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the American healthcare system. In 1984, George Orwell's fictional novel, 1984, features intense government censorship from the government of Oceania, a totalitarian regime that monitors its citizens for any subversive acts or thoughts. Fast forward to the year 2023, and a fictional novel becomes reality in 2006. My guest started one of the fastest growing independent publishing companies called Skyhorse Publishing, which can be found at www.skyhorsepublishing.com in 2020 partnered with the Children's Health Defense to create a series of public health books with such titles as The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Cause Unknown by Edward Dowd, and Transcend Fear by Dr. Joseph Latipo. It is my pleasure to have on the Medical Truth Podcast, Mr. Tony Lyons. Hi, Tony. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to this episode of the Medical Truth Podcast. So let's just want to dive into a couple of things I wanted to discuss and ask you questions about as far as this whole thing with censorship that's being taken place with big tech. And, and that is just with the listeners and viewers of the Medical Truth Podcast, share a little bit about you, your company, Skyhorse Publishing. Sure. So Skyhorse Publishing... I founded it in 2006. We published something like 10,000 books in 17 years. And, and we've done a lot of books that were canceled in some way or where the authors were canceled or where the points of view were really controversial. And so people had trouble finding a publisher. And in recent years, we've covered COVID from sort of all sides, but we uh, have an imprint that we're doing with Children's Health Defense. All the books have a preface by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And most of the authors are people who have undergone the worst kind of censorship and deplatforming. And uh, But many of them are incredibly intelligent people who have a really important perspective on what's gone on in the last two and a half years. And uh, But it, it's a perspective that questions the government narrative so that they've all been kicked off of Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, up until recently Twitter and various other places. And none of the books get reviewed in any major newspaper. They're not carried by most bookstores. They're censored at libraries. They're special algorithms that have been created for these kinds of books that make it harder to find them. It's a time when the censorship tools have gotten more and more refined. And uh, so it's harder and harder in this country to to get real information that's not just a specific narrative, either from the government or from corporations that are making products and using news as a kind of marketing. Yeah, you mentioned about starting to see, and this is what inspired you, I take it, as far as starting Skyhorse Publishing, was this whole thing about potentially leading up to censorship or there was going to be some type of censorship. When did you start noticing 
more of the censorship starting to take place. Bobby Kennedy's book, Don Marisol, Let the Science Speak, about, about maybe 12 years ago. And uh, when that came out, it, it got an incredible number of negative reviews even before it was published. So they were hit pieces against Bobby Kennedy. The book was described as being misinformation. So the same kinds of things happened, that bookstores wouldn't carry it. Newspapers only talked about the fact or the claim that it was untrue, but they didn't address any of the claims made in the book. And it was a fascinating book because it was really just an analysis of literally hundreds of peer-reviewed studies. So there was no way to call that misinformation. So I began to see even then that the word misinformation or words like conspiracy theory had been weaponized, and that's accelerated since then, but they've been weaponized to make it difficult for consumers to recognize that there really is genuine differences of opinion and that they're really intelligent, hardworking people doing serious research who are just being left out of the scientific conversation to the point where it's not really even science anymore. It's just corporate marketing. Yeah. And for the viewers and listeners of this particular podcast, I think it's important to to understand and what you just said that this happened 12 years ago. This wasn't even something that happened post-COVID that we're seeing now that's out in full force with censorship, with big tech Mm -hmm. and with information from a lot of good people, a lot of, like you say, professionals in the medical industry and have, I believe Robert has, Robert F. Kennedy has something like a thousand citations with the real Anthony Fauci. So he cites, yeah. So that book actually has 2,194 citations. And I was in a big rush to get that book out because I felt that it was such an important story for people to hear because they were making life and death decisions. And I wanted them to have the information in that book. But, you know, what I was really pushing to to get it out quickly, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to make sure that he got the story exactly right so that it would be unimpeachable and really get the attention that it deserved. And it, it really was an incredibly well-researched book with just excellent citations that that really couldn't be discounted. And yet, even after all that work, the book didn't get a review in any major newspaper in the country. The only TV show that covered it was Tucker Carlson. And so it was an incredible story. And it's still by a grassroots a sort of team of hundreds of people who were connected to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. or connected to me and my publishing company went out and got on every podcast we could get on to talk about the book. And so the most censored book in probably the last 10 years still wound up selling more than 1 million copies. But I think that given the timing of when the real Anthony Fauci came out and the just the incredible need for the information that was in it. It was really just going viral and had a day before the censorship kicked in where it sold 10,000 copies one day, then 20,000, then 50,000. And then the censorship really kicked in and it slowed down a lot. But, But there really are just 
powerful forces now that are controlling what all of us think, what we view, what we put into our bodies. And it's really hard to fight because these campaigns are, these are the kinds of things that would be the envy of any dictator in history. Right. Telling the truth, you don't need these tools. If you're telling the truth, you welcome Robert F. Kennedy Jr. onto the Today Show and you bring Dr. Fauci on and you say, you guys have it out. The American public in a democracy has a right to hear both sides of a story and decide for themselves what they're going to do with that information. Yeah, yeah. And I think the people that are listening and viewing this have to understand how far and deep and wide this whole censorship thing is. This is moving towards a almost like a totalitarian or communist type of movement is what this is, really, when you start censoring people. Yeah, that's exactly my perspective on it. And I've seen it with so many books and in so many different ways. So in the first week that The Real Anthony Fauci came out, it was clearly the number one best-selling book in the country. And all the bestseller lists knocked it down. So the New York Times made it number seven, even though it sold something like three times the number of copies that the number one book sold in that week. So they're just using every possible tactic. And there's a document that the Surgeon General brought out right around the same time. It came out in the same week that the real Anthony Fauci came out, and it was called Confronting Health Misinformation. And the fascinating thing is that it had no definition of what health misinformation was, but it had then 22 pages on all the ways to confront it. And so what you take away reading that when they said that they were going to contact on behalf of the government, big tech companies, they were going to you know, reach out to everybody that they could reach out on the local, state, and federal level and try to get them to fight messages like this from people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but also from lots of other well-respected doctors and scientists all around the country who just had an idea that was different than theirs. So medical misinformation became a code word for anything that contradicted the government narrative. Yeah. We know how big tech is and Google, Facebook, all these platforms, including the news outlets. But there's also on the other side of that, the Robert F. Kennedy's and the likes of Peter McCullough, Dr. McCullough, and Dr. Judy Mikovits, and all these wonderful, courageous people that are putting out factual information based on their profession. And yet you still have a public, because I've interviewed several physicians who have patients and they're actively licensed physicians that are seeing patients today that are saying that the patients and the people out there, the public, the general public, is still confused about everything that's going on. They're still conforming to getting booster vaccines. And there's, I still see people out there wear a mask and still people fall for this narrative, even though a lot of information from professionals is out there. What do you think it's going to take to convince the masses of people to break from this mindset? Because like you said, we're up against a monster here with this censorship. 
Yeah, it is, it is really hard to tell because you do have people like Judy, Mike Evans, Peter McCullough, Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Robert Malone. These are all very serious doctors and scientists who have been saying this now for the last couple of years, and they're getting through to a percentage of the population, but they're not getting through to a lot of people. So there's still millions of people, like you said, who are who are just not looking at the science and who are not listening to the very strong arguments that these people are making. So I think one possibility is that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running for president. No doubt in my mind that if he became president, that he would change the C CDC, the FDA, the NIAID. He would be one of the first things he would do would be to right these wrongs. And he would put people who have written books for us in positions of power. So I think there's a good chance that he would take somebody like Malone, McCullough, Dr. Joe Latipo from the Surgeon General of Florida. I would think there's a real chance that Joe Latipo would become the Surgeon General of the United States, that one of the other senior doctors would wind up running the CDC. So it, it's possible that I've seen the incredible power of this grassroots movement, this loosely connected movement of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. But I think that for real change, some of that change has to start from the top and that you need a leader in this country who really cares about these kinds of things, who doesn't believe in censorship, who really thinks that debate is important in a democracy. And if, yeah. and if you had that, then I think you would see much more rapid change. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I parroted so much on so many episodes of the Medical Truth podcast is that this whole thing from the very beginning stunk from to high heaven back in 2020. But then what I noticed and what a lot of people may or may not have noticed it was that it became a very politicized issue. It became a political football for both sides with Trump, with Operation Warp Speed, and then Biden pushing the vaccines, and they're both pushing vaccines. And there was just so much confusion because these people had pretty much the say, and they had the platform at the time that they were in office or are in office. The American public gets a lot of their information, I think, most of their information from social media and from the news, really. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame anybody who got it wrong or who made right. bad decisions during this period because, or they have been subjected to the most powerful propaganda campaign in the history of mankind right. and the powerful censorship tools that have ever been available to anybody on this planet. The question is, how do you change that so that this never happens in the future? And that's a difficult question. Solutions is what we're, we need to look for now, not continue. Because there's a lot of information going out there about the actual vaccines and the testing of the actual vaccines and lab tests. And even now that they're saying that it's getting into the meat, the meat supply for consumable meat and all this. And there's a lot of good physicians out there and a lot of good scientists and researchers out there putting out some information about that. But 
it's where do we go from here? We got to talk about solutions, right? Yeah. Just to take one step back, we published a book called Cause Unknown by Ed Dowd. I don't think you can read that book without recognizing that the vaccine caused unnecessary deaths. That that if you just think about the fact that a virus has gone through an entire population, likely the entire population of the planet, so that you were very likely to have everybody with some level of antibodies to COVID in January of 2021. So if you had done nothing, you would see hospitalizations and deaths going down in any pandemic because you would have a certain number of people who were vulnerable who died. You would have a certain number of people who were slightly less vulnerable having some kind of really bad reaction. But then the ability of the virus to lead to serious illness would diminish over time. People would have some level of protection from having got the virus, and the most likely people to die would have died. So what Ed Dowd showed in his book was that hospitalizations and deaths went up after the vaccine was introduced. So the only thing you can really take away from that is that there's a really high likelihood that the vaccine itself led to a much worse outcome and that people who were otherwise healthy, mostly young male people, wound up dying or coming close to dying from the vaccine who were at virtually statistically no risk from COVID. So there was a study that, uh, that Dr. Joe Latipo did in Florida that involved healthy men from 18 to 39 years old. And he found that they had a much greater risk of dying from the COVID vaccine than they did from COVID itself. And when he came out with that study, using the power of the state of Florida to gather data, he got hit pieces in numerous newspapers and magazines, and it was all discounted. But the problem is that what we've been practicing in this country isn't real science. So he did a fairly thorough but relatively quick job trying to prove his point or trying to see what the science showed. And so the right response would have been to bring people on television with him to discuss it and to see whether maybe there was something in his data that was flawed. But what they did and what they've done consistently and more and more over the last few years is they just go after the person. So anybody who contradicts what the narrative is just gets shut down. And that has nothing to do with science. So people saying, follow the science, are getting it all wrong. That science is messy and you love people who disagree because they force you to prove whatever hypothesis you have. I want to back up a little bit. So by profession, you're an attorney, right? And I want to talk a little bit about the legal part of this equation and that knowing that with censorship in this, especially in the space of science and medicine, it seems to me that a lot of HIPAA laws were violated during 2020, right after the pandemic. And a lot of people gave up their rights as patients. Where do you see all this going from a legal 
from a legal point of view, as far yeah, as... Yeah, I think that there's always a real danger when people are afraid. And fear leads people to be willing to give up rights for what they believe is safety. And at the start of COVID, people saw Dr. Fauci as this sort of trustworthy, calming character, and they believed him. And they thought that nobody was going to help them other than the government. So they turned to the government and they obeyed in large part whatever the government told them. And so there, there is always this danger in time of crisis that people give up rights. And then, you know, it's generally much harder to get rights back. So you can give up your rights really quickly, but it, it takes a lot of hard work to get them back. And that's what my fear is now, that in the quest, in the hope that we could end this pandemic quickly, as, as misguided as I think that was, I think people were willing to give up everything. And, but now I think we've reached a point where more people than before the pandemic recognize that they can't trust the government, that when the CDC tells them to do something, they don't know that they want to do it. So I think that's a good development. And even though the media, the sort of mainstream media, has been so terrible during these last three years that you really haven't been able to get any alternative views. You've only gotten the government line just parroted by TV show after TV show. But what you also got in response to that is this whole new form of media where there are podcasts like this one and hundreds of others that have sprung up that millions of people are now watching. And they're recognizing that they can get their information from people who do not have a conflict of interest, who are not doing it for advertising dollars, for fear of the government, or any other reason, that they're getting people who just want to tell the truth. And right. getting it from people who are brave, who have the courage to risk their whole profession, you know, that right. a serious doctor like Dr. Peter McCullough coming out and risking his whole career because he believes in telling the truth. Somebody like Dr. Robert Malone coming out and risking everything. So when all these people do that, I think that they have the ability to inspire other people. And I definitely see that with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the books that he's been bringing out, mm -hmm. that hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people respect what he's doing and they see that he has nothing to gain from it, that he's only lost from it. But when you go to a government official like Dr. Fauci, you see just such blatant corruption, even events that he makes himself, where he says that his favorite movie is The Godfather and his favorite line from that movie is, it's not personal, it's just business. You've got the most powerful public health official probably in the history of the world, who's basically just coming right out and saying that to him, it's all about business. It's about putting corporate profits over the welfare of the citizens of this country. And so I think that this may be a real turning point, that people are becoming awake to the idea that the government isn't out to protect them, that 
big corporations aren't just making products, that big pharmaceutical companies aren't coming out with drugs primarily to help them. They're coming out with drugs that are designed to make as much money as they possibly can, even if they hurt people. And whether or not they hurt people is almost beside the point for these places that are just using the government and taking over the regulatory agencies in order to extract as much money as possible from people. Yeah. Yeah. And I said that too, from the beginning, going back to that grassroots approach, it's going to be a collective effort with small, medium, and large platforms that are away from the fringe of the mainstream media, like I say, collectively to get the word out there. And it's got to be people who were in the trenches or are in the trenches. So it's a collective effort, I think. But getting back to the legal part of it, how is big tech able to get away with censorship based on the First Amendment and the Constitution? The big tech companies, to some extent, can rest on the fact that they're private companies, and generally a private company can do what they want. I would argue that these big tech companies are more like government in themselves than they are. This is not capitalism. This is These are kind of robber barons. These are massive companies that employ hundreds of thousands, in some cases, even millions of people. And it's hard to live in this country without access to their platforms. When they're that big and they're that powerful, they need to be regulated. And they can't have the ability to just stifle any dissent in the country. And But even worse than that, what we saw during this period was our congressmen and our senators writing letters and forcing big tech companies in cases where they didn't really want to do it themselves to censor people and to guide them towards a specific narrative and a specific view of the world. And that's like a problem that only can get worse. So when you look at chat GPT, it's marketed as a way to get information really quickly. And so it's tempting. You can just ask anything and you can get an answer. But the problem is that it's that the answers are tainted. And I've read a lot of articles by people who have looked up things and they find that it's it's the sum total of the government propaganda. And it's censored in the sense that it once again just steers you towards a mainstream kind of manufactured consensus so that it becomes then even more difficult to get real information or to get both sides of arguments. So I think there's a lot of work to do. In in the case of the government pressuring private companies, I would really like to see some victories where people go after government officials for censoring private companies, because that seems to be clearly unconstitutional, that if the government can't censor somebody itself, it certainly shouldn't be allowed to force or to threaten companies that they have power over and induce them to censor. It would be like the CIA couldn't torture people, but then it would transport people to a country where torture was legal and have it done there. So it, it's right. the same kind of thing. And it's the same kind of thing as gain-of-function research being outlawed 
in the continental United States, but then shipped abroad to China, where it was possible to just continue doing that same research, but have it be funded by the U.S. government. So all of those kinds of things seem to me to be unconstitutional. And so I think we really do need some kind of truth and reconciliation now before we can just move on. So while it's great that a lot of people are waking up, we really have to, at all levels, get some kind of retribution and some kind of lesson for the world that this can't happen in this way again. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of impact do you think AI will have on publishing and especially audible books and copyright infringement? Yeah. So my feeling is that, uh, that it's a very bad thing, that it's, it's just another shortcut. And for young people, I think there was, that there was actual benefit to all of our brains when we had to figure things out that were difficult, where we had to remember things rather than just being able to look it up quickly on, on Google or on something else. So chat GPT is the next step there. So it's then possible to have your school paper written by chat GPT. And while there are apps that will help professors and teachers combat that, it's hard to imagine that millions of students wouldn't take that short shortcut and then edit it so that it couldn't be detected. So I would say that it that's a really bad development in the history of mankind and that, that you really need some sort of monitoring of those kinds of developments. Not all scientific developments are, are good for mankind. The, the same yeah. kind of thing is true with GMOs, that just the fact that you can create something like a GMO salmon doesn't necessarily mean that's good for the future of mankind. So I think that we definitely need to have some more counterbalance in this country. So we need an organization that's powerful, that watches the FDA and makes sure that their decisions aren't based on the fact that they're controlled by the companies that they're supposed to be regulating. And the same is true with the CDC. The same would be true of the EPA. So we need a, either a decoupling of money from the government agencies, or we need a bunch of watchdog organizations that have real teeth, that have real power, that are going to make sure that they do their job or that people are going to go to jail if they don't. So that a pesticide doesn't just get fast-tracked because all of their research is funded by the pesticide company that's going to benefit from those sales. And then the person at the EPA knows that they're going to get a job 18 months later for millions of dollars each year. So all of those kinds of things, I would hope, are in our future. And I think there's a lot more knowledge that these kinds of things are going on and a lot more political will building to try to get some of these answers put into place. Yeah. Do you see a copyright infringement with this, with chat GPT in the AI world? Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot of, that they're going to have to be a lot of lawsuits where publishers can find ways to protect themselves. Because if you take a book and you have a kind of ebook file for it, it's very hard to control that on the web now. It's very hard 
to protect copyright. And if chat GPC is going to take, or and if Google and if all of the other platforms are allowed to take all of the information in the world, censor it, change it, make it something that's more palatable and backs the government views better, it's a very difficult process for private companies or for authors or for musicians or any kind of creative people to protect their creations. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you see all this going in one a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Yeah. Like I said, I hope that we can get new leaders in this country who are who really care about the future of mankind and who recognize that to a great extent the the future of mankind shouldn't be at odds with responsible capitalism. If you're making money off the land, for example, you should want the land to be healthy. If you're making money producing food, you should want people not to die. If you're giving billions of people of a vaccine that they don't need, if it's really dangerous, you're actually hurting your own market in the long run while extracting an awful lot of money in the short run. So I think that we need more responsible leaders. And once again, I would think that that somebody like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would be a great choice, but that we need to really look at the kinds of people we've been getting and find a way to have money taken out of politics as much as possible now and take, taken out so that you can get younger people with who are have a vision that fits more with the way the world is now, rather than have somebody like President Biden, who's very old, whose views are outdated, whose memory isn't good, versus somebody who's maybe 50 years old, who has a real clear mind and is open to ideas and is learning as the world changes. That, I think, is what's going to give us a future that we can all be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. And it just seems like they, when you talk about, you start talking about the World Economic Forum and this whole thing with chat GPT and the censorship stuff, it's so well orchestrated. And I think another reason why there's a lot of doubt with a lot of people, there's this cognitive dissonance that they just don't believe that one global organization could be controlling and pulling all the strings like the World Economic Forum and moving into this brave new world that we're going into. And people are so wrapped up with just trying to survive just to pay the right. bills and get by and have some food on the table. But even like you said, the food supplies are changing, distribution chains are changing on, and then you're trying to fast track different vaccines. There's so much to unpack and there's so much to wrap your head around that it almost becomes unbelievable that this stuff can actually be happening. Definitely. Yeah. Just getting back to what you're talking about with a term paper as a kid with using chat GPT, I could, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, okay, I can remember, and I don't know how old you are, Tony, but we used to use encyclopedias to right. put a term paper together. Now we're in a whole totally different world now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is a really scary thing. And it's a the historical moment where, you know, you think that if that if there's more diversity in all ways of ideas, of species, of countries with different points of view, with different information, different media, different TV shows that they're watching, 
that the most diversity you can have is is going to be better for the world because part of the problem is that if you have something like the World Economic Forum and they make a bad decision, then that's sort of game over. If you have a GMO salmon that kills off all other kinds of salmon and that later we find out then causes cancer, then it's game over. Salmon's gone. A lot of people die. People get get terrible cancers from it. So we're moving in this direction that's more and more dangerous because there's less and less diversity of all kinds. So I would say that we, we want as little kind of monolithic thinking as possible, and we want to avoid this sort of fascist coordination between corporate America and the U.S. government, and that that process can really get us on a new path. And I desperately want to see this country and this world on that path. And I think that it's possible that there is a bright future for mankind that is possible. When you get rid of the WEF, when you get rid of money in the way that it's now used in politics, from lobbying, from the funding for agencies of the government coming from big private companies that are supposed to be regulated by those agencies. If you can start doing those things, then we can really have rebirth of humanity. And it's possible because the same tools that are being used against us now to, to stifle any kind of real conversations between people and to stifle and get rid of real science and real human development, they could all be used in our favor, that we have these powerful tools and we need right. to turn them around so that they're not used against us, they're used for us. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is I tell people, a lot of people, and I've parroted this so much on, on this podcast, is they've got to take the politics out of these narratives, especially this COVID thing, because I saw so much division taking a place. And that's what they're using. This is not a Democrat and a Republican thing or a political thing anymore. This is a good versus evil agenda. It really right. truly is. If you look into it and people dive into it and go down the different rabbit holes of things that are taking place, I just recently did a little research because I was had followed from the very beginning of the whole COVID pandemic was Judy Mikovits and Dr. Kerry Mejias and Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. And Kerry Mejia was talking about Luciferian dye and quantum tattoos. I did a little research on my own and I had read an article from a Dr. McHugh. He's a PhD. He's a biochemist devoting his t entire career to quantum tattoos and Luciferian dye. So when I was reading this, talking about vaccine passports, and this was written back in 2014. Now you fast forward to 2023, and they're talking about central bank digital currency and being chipped like an animal, having your banking information on there and your vaccine passports. I personally feel that they're not, this is not over. I don't think this no. is over. I really don't. Yeah, that I think is one really dangerous part of the moment that we're in now. Sure. But I think there's this sort of temporary euphoria that always comes at the end of a big crisis. And it's been described in lots of famous books like The Plague by, by Camus, where the sort of jubilation of the crowds 
that the pandemic's over, that, that we have our freedom back. But we don't have our freedom back. And all these tools are still in place. And what's happened is it's harder to see and people are a little bit more used to it. What I would like to see is a real kind of rebirth of human freedom. That people saying that I don't want to watch a TV show that where they just repeat the same point of view over and over again, where the, you know, the discussion of foreign policy comes from a government agency that's supposed to just put out a certain narrative that is supposed to make you believe something really specific so that you go put a Ukrainian flag in your window and you don't want to know anything more. Right. It just gives you this feeling that you're part of something, that you're trying to help people, even if in the end, that's not what's really happening. Whether whether you get a better outcome or not, I would never want to give up my own freedom, my own ability to look at the real raw material of what goes into conclusions. So I don't want yeah. the government telling me what to do. I don't want them telling me what to think, uh, telling me what their analysis is so that I can go buy a flag and wave it. And I don't think anybody does deep down. I think people really want to be free and they really want maximum access to information, especially when it's about their health or their children's health, but also just about everything that that's what it is to be human. Maybe you could create machines that would make better decisions. From all that I've seen, all of this push towards AI, all of this fascism in area after area of our lives is actually leading to a much worse outcome and a much more dangerous world. But even if it was better, I wouldn't want it. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like there's so much money behind this push and like I said, it's coming from so many different directions. It's not just chat GPT. Like I said, it's vaccines and it's digital currency and it's all these things. It's like coming at a breakneck speed that, again, I don't think people are paying attention. And I believe it was Saul Alinsky who said about boiling the frogs. When you boil the frogs, you just turn it up a little by little, to turn the heat on. I think we're past the medium setting on the heating on the stove with boiling the frogs. I think we're almost at a boiling point now. Yeah, people for decades have taken real pleasure in describing the freedom that we have and talking about Russia where there's no freedom of the press or China where there's no freedom of the press, where there's propaganda coming at you all the time. But the amazing thing with what you just said is that's really what happens in this country. So people in China, for example, know that there's incredible propaganda. People in Russia during Soviet times knew that they were being subjected to the worst kind of propaganda, but they were able to defend themselves because it was so clear what was happening. So when you're boiled slowly like that, you don't realize that your freedoms are being chipped away at slowly wind up having no freedom and having no ability to protect your yourself. And in, in Soviet Russia, everybody was breaking the law. They were dealing on the black market. They were reading things that they shouldn't read. They were finding ways to get 
good information because they knew exactly what was happening to them. But Americans, to some extent, it really does seem to be changing, but to, to some extent over the last 20 years have gradually lost their freedom and haven't been able to fight because they've been too busy being proud of how great America is now. Yeah. At all yeah. times. Yeah. It's, I think it, when it is for us too, it's this combination of complacency and cognitive dissonance of not believing what's about to unfold or what's unfolding right before our eyes, if you open up your eyes. And then it's going to be like, hopefully it's not going to come to a point where it's too late. But I think, unfortunately, that's where we're at. I think that's where we're at. And they know that. These people know that, that are behind this agenda and then are pulling these strings know that. They know that we're complacent and to believe what's going on is hard to believe because, again, it gets back to that cognitive distance thing. There was an old saying, Roman saying, called bread and circus. I'm sure you've heard of it, right. know of it. But it's feed the masses and keep their bellies full and keep them entertained. And I think that's where we were at for so long and had it so good in this country. And now we're being taken advantage of by our governments or government, I should say. But there are so many people. So the hopeful side of it is that there are so many people who are fighting back. There's so many activists out there in, in really big numbers, and they are not quitting. And I see that every day with the book proposals that I get, with the doctors and the scientists who I have phone conversations with, the political theorists who are sending in books to us. There's this sort of rebirth of of a whole almost generation of people who are saying that they're just angry and they're not going to accept this anymore. And they're going to fight to have a much more hopeful, much more human future. And I really believe that, that that's going to happen here, that there's so many people and, and that I'm just seeing it day after day, that those people are not going to quit and they're, yeah. they're not going to lay down. And if this same pandemic happened now, I think the result would be really different, that there would be millions and millions of people who would say, hey, we need more information before we're going to do anything. We're not just going to do what we're told. We're not going to comply. We want respect. We want real in information. We want people like the doctors who we mentioned before. We, we want them front and center on sure. television describing what they believe this all means. And then if the government wants to force us to do something, they have to convince us and they have to get on those shows and they have to talk to Malone, McCullough, Corey, Mikevitz, and all the people like that. And they have to make a better argument because that's what we're going to respond to in the future, not force. I agree. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming on to the Medical Truth Podcast, and we'll have to keep the word out there. I'll keep everybody updated on your progress with Skyhorse Publishing and with what you're doing, and keep the word, keep it out there, keep it going. Thanks keep so much. And I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Medical Truth Podcast. For the latest episodes, go to www.medicaltruthpodcast.com. You can also find the Medical Truth Podcast on Rumble, as well as all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeart.